It's real. It's real. You know the deal. You know the deal. Hey, Chante. And I'm Natalie, and welcome to What's the Deal, a podcast powered by the Norfus Firm. At the Norfus Firm, we solve people problems. We have the great pleasure of working with employers all over the world on human resources and diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. Wow, we've had quite the day from a content perspective. Um, we always like to remind folks that we film ahead. So, you know, we don't always, you, we're not, you know, issuing these exactly as they happen. And today has been so action packed. And yes, yes. And what's super exciting about it is that we get to end um, with a concept we haven't really talked about. We actually haven't talked about it at all, which I love. And so we hear so much about IQ and EQ, but what's the deal with CQ? CQ? Um, I know IQ and I know EQ. I'm getting a sense of CQ, but what, but like, what is it? So it's, it's cultural quotient. And it's also talked about as cultural intelligence, but you know, we all, we love shared language. So we have to start off with a, a definition. Um, and this one is, is provided by Forbes. And so cultural intelligence refers to our ability to work effectively in culturally diverse situations. So someone who is culturally intelligent is not just aware of diversity. They're able to relate to and where appropriate adapt to people of different races, genders, cultures, ages, religions, sexual orientations, and so on. So we're, we're thinking about this sort of competence around understanding how to relate in different spaces. The way I read this, it's not like you have to be an expert in everyone's culture. Right. You have to be intelligent about getting to know them basically. That's a, that's a really good distinction because it sounds like it could be a lot. Right. Like to really be able to, to know all these things. Cause when you think intelligence or, or you know, you think about like knowledge and having to know something. Um, and we already know that leaders are stressed out. We already know that people are like any, anyone trying to incorporate and add in all this DEI work that we talk about is already under a lot of pressure to know things. And so, you know, it, it sounds like it's a big deal and, and it can be interpreted as one more thing that a leader would have to know. Is that accurate? It could be, but I think it really overlays with a lot of what we talk about. And that's kind of what we're going to dig in today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, which is why we brought in our guest today. It's so, so excited to have a conversation with Lauren Wasario Maldonado. Hi, Lauren. Great to see you. Hi, ladies. How are you? Good, good, good. So I, I have your, your bio here. I want to read it all because, again, I, I like to read as people know when I do my intros because I'm, I don't want to mess up anything. And I want to use the words that people use to describe themselves. So Lauren Rosario Maldonado is the chief people scientist of Cultura. And I've been waiting all day to say Cultura because I really think it is such a great word. And we live in Miami. And so anytime I get to, anyway, um, an author of the upcoming book, Becoming the Change, The Power of Cultural Intelligence, with over 25 years of international experience as a people strategist. Lauren is a leading expert in human resources, leadership coaching, change management, and cultural intelligence. So, Lauren, as you heard, you, Natalie started off us off with a definition of cultural intelligence about how it's a person's ability to kind of really work with different cultures um, and different situations. So, if we draw ourselves out of that a bit and take it not necessarily from the person's perspective, but from the organizational perspective, what? How would you define like? One, company culture or workplace culture. And then what role does cultural intelligence play in within the culture? 
Yeah, I would say, you know, putting it simply, culture just represents the way people do things in that ecosystem, right? It could be a departmental culture, it could be an organizational culture, it can be a social culture. So it's, it basically represents the way people do things, their beliefs, their values, all of the different symbols that they use to represent how they do things. And to answer your question, cultural intelligence plays a role because as we know, each culture has their own way of approaching and doing what they do. So in an organizational context, yes, you may have an organizational culture, but you also have subcultures, right? We know that finance behaves and acts differently than those in marketing or those in HR. And so cultural intelligence provides the framework that you need in order to understand those differences. And once you understand those differences, then it helps you navigate those differences so that you adapt, not necessarily adopt to those differences that are ascribed within those subcultures. So I, I think that's what's really interesting about this description is it highlights the fact that, I mean, it gets also, it gets at intersectionality, right? So it gets at, we're more than one thing, which we love to talk about a lot. Right. So the function piece we run into a lot when we're doing assessments, right, where it's like, oh, you know, pe people kind of get very siloed. Well, oh, they're just an HR. They don't know. Oh, there's just the accountants. They're that way. Oh, the sales guys are so aggressive. And, and, and instead sort of it becomes this sort of divisive thing of like us versus them on just even a function level. Right. Putting aside like our actual background and who we are in other respects. And so I love this idea. A, culture is absolutely about how an organization does things, but you often are going to have multiple. And there's also all these overlays, right? People are uniting about their function and against other functions. People unite amongst other things they have in common. Um, and so uh, it's super fascinating from that standpoint. In terms of like when you're going into organizations and, and saying, uh, or really trying to identify if there is an issue with cultural intelligence, what are some of the things that you're looking for, uh, or looking at to identify some gaps that organizations may have with that, with that work? What you're looking for, you know, cultural intelligence really, really drives home the message that you need to understand, right? So what you're looking for is understanding the root of those differences. To your point, you may have finance that has a difference in the way they approach their work from, let's say, marketing, right? Why do they have those differences? What knowledge do I need to obtain to understand why finance is so different than marketing? It could be compliance. It can be, you know, all these different attributes that drive their work. And so it shapes why they approach their work differently. Right. Marketing is highly creative. Finance is more tactical, more detail oriented. And so understanding the differences by by gaining the knowledge helps you then strategize in order to change your behavior and adapt accordingly when working with finance if you come from marketing. And so I love how you use the word intersectionality because they all overlap. 
And let's not forget the intersectionality of the individuals themselves, which does play a role in all of these different interactions. So when you're thinking about that, I'm really glad that you you led us there because that was what's happening in my head too. Not only from a function perspective, do you have having to navigate people and their jobs, but then you have to navigate the people and their backgrounds and their experiences doing these jobs, right? right? So, so if someone is trying to apply cultural intelligence or even in expand upon or improve or grow their cultural intelligence, what is the approach there? How should they even think about navigating this space, applying more cultural intelligence? I would say start with cultural humility, right? And the reason why I love to throw sprinkles of cultural humility into the mix is because it drives home the message of intersectionality. It really does emphasize the intersectionality of the individual within the environment, right? What does that mean? Start with with self-awareness and critical self-evaluation. You need to look at yourself in the mirror every time and really question what's there before you can become an ally, before you can interact with those differences. It always starts with ourselves. Once you understand that, then you can learn from those differences, understand why those differences exist and understand that they're not necessarily wrong, they're just different and then become an ally by interacting and commingling, coexisting with those differences, right? Disrupting all those, all those biases and all those misconceptions that may come along the way as you connect with, with individuals who are different. And this applies in your department, cross-departmentally, or the organization as a whole. We always come back to... I mean, what I think I just like, it hits me all the time. You can't get away from yourself, right? If you do not know yourself, you cannot be good at anything, honestly, right? Like, even if you think that you're being like, you know, I always come to sales because it's so finite. Like people, if they have sales goals, my dad was in sales for a really long time. And I always say he could sell ice to people who live in Antarctica, right? That probably have a lot of ice around them. He could really sell anything. But the reality is that if you don't know yourself, you're, you're, you may not be getting there in the best way. And it's like, I think that like we, we, we hear leaders say it's really hard to take that introspective look, but gosh, we, every kind of it always way. comes back to it. Always. And I, I'm, and I love that you bring in the self-awareness because that is really the key to all of this work. But to drive a finer point on it, Define cultural humility for us and really, really get to that point of how the self shows up in cultural humility. So cultural humility really comes, actually it originated in healthcare because that's where we see a lot of these intersectionalities play a role in institutions, right? And so it's founded on the fact that we are intersectional as individuals, as organizations, and to drive cultural humility, you need to go beyond understanding. You need to really take an internal look to go outward with more knowledge, with the humility enough to know that you will never reach mastery. You will never have all the answers. And in this lifelong seeking, you in turn create this allyship because you're always evolving, you're always learning, you're always growing 
from a place of humility. I mean, no pun intended, but it is humbling enough to know that you don't know, right? Just yeah. when you realize you know, you realize you don't know enough. Right. And so that is the, the essence of what cultural humility is, is that it's not, it's, not a, it's not a mastery that you reach. It is a journey of lifelong self-criticism and self-evaluation while disrupting the, uh, the, and challenging all these biases, our own and systemic ones. Yeah, you have to do that. And that's, that has been a theme today in a lot of the conversations we've had is getting to understanding what are the gaps? Where are the barriers? Right. How do we, how do, and then what do we, what are the interventions? What do we apply? I mean, we talked about cultural intelligence and cultural humility as something that can be applied. We talk about how there's an investment, there's a journey. So you have to apply time and energy to this. You have to apply curiosity. So like, these are all themes that have come up in our conversations today. And I think the mix of cultural intelligence and cultural humility encompass all of that in order to really drive culture and business. Exactly. And I think like the more I'm listening to Lauren, I think the easier it becomes to understand how, because again, we really always try to be thoughtful, Lauren, about people feeling like, gosh, you're just dumping more on me and you're asking me to do something different. And I think when I'm listening to you, it's, it's really not inconsistent at all with what we constantly talk about, right? If you start off with understanding your culture, right? How do we do things here? Or how do people think we do things here? That's, that's that organizational self-awareness, right? In terms of understanding, like, is what we want, how it's, how it's landing? Like, is that how people are seeing it? And then it's like, you can continue on that same sort of disciplined exercise sort of down the funnel. And and again, we probably start with a smaller funnel with you understanding yourself, but I just think in terms of that organizational piece, we're dealing with this consistent rigor around, and it requires the constant practice of curiosity, right? Not doing a survey one time, not talking to people one time, not having certain conversations one time, not doing one training. We talk a lot about, you can't do one training, expect everybody's going to change. And on that note, can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because people hate to hear that it takes time to fix stuff. I mean, it's not satisfying. It's not satisfying to me either. I'm just saying it's, you know, when it comes to change management, can you just talk a little bit about that in terms of elevating uh, CQ in an organization? Absolutely. Yes. I think coming from, you know, coming from the perspective of it takes time can sort of become a crutch if you let it, right? But if you, if you focus on the change, incorporating not only the transparency, but really becoming comfortable with the uncomfortable and incorporating that into the change management approach, sends a stronger message that you're being intentional as an organization about this change. That is not, it's not a one-time event. It is it is more than just change management, it's an evolution. And in order to, in order for people to become more comfortable with the uncomfortable, they have to understand that discomfort. And that's where CQ plays a major role in change management, right? Because we talk about the, the semantics. Let's talk about the communication plan. Let's talk about the milestones. Let's talk about this and this, blah, 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 blah. 
But people forget how uncomfortable it is to talk about these things, to really acknowledge that these biases, these gaps, these, these misconstrued notions do exist. And we've been so conditioned to succumb to that discomfort that we need to kind of take a step back and reassess how we're going to approach those gaps. So it's acknowledging that it will be uncomfortable, right? It's like, it's like anything you start, it is uncomfortable in the beginning, but know that the end result will far outweigh all the pain that you succumb to throughout the process. So incorporating the, the people aspect beyond communication into the change management approach is what makes the, the biggest difference. Wow. So I think what that just did for me is like uh, reframing the sort of time concept to an evolution concept mm -hmm. and that evolution does not happen all at once. Right. So when we think about time, um, it's fluid. And I, I love this, this aspect of this. So we've, we've reached sort of the end of this particular part of the journey, not the end of the journey, just this part of it. And I'll just recap, I think some of the highlights of like, what's, What's important from this conversation? Um, CQ really provides sort of a container for all of us to sort of think about the fact that there are lots and lots and lots of different ways that people show up, that where they come from. And the goal is not to understand 100% of them as, as a master of that information, but committing yourself to be this lifelong learner. It's all, all of that lifelong learning starts with you knowing self and understanding that who you are today may not be who you are tomorrow and being willing to continuously shed different versions of yourself to evolve as you get more information. You get more information. Um, of course, as always, uh, gather the data, but don't just sit and look at it. Don't use the words. Make sure your words and your actions match. And I think, you know, sort of this last theme is sort of um, that curiosity, right? Being willing to just continue uh, on the on the journey and knowing that there isn't one specific destination because we're just in it until we're not. So, um, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. Thank all of the people who listen to us for for coming back and listening. Um, Stay in touch with us in terms of liking and subscribing and sharing our content with your friends. Uh, we always appreciate when you do. We always appreciate the feedback and we're always open to new topics. So hit us up uh, if there's anything you want us to talk about on the show. See y'all soon.